It is Monday, February 6th, the Big Sports Breakfast on Sky Sports Radio. A very good morning if you are just tuning in and uh, just a big result in the Premier League overnight. Tottenham have beaten Manchester City 1-0 and courtesy of a goal from Harry Kane to ensure well, that he breaks the record there at Tottenham. Uh, goes past club legend Jimmy Greaves with his 267th and record goal for the club in that 1-0 victory. Nottingham Forest also beat Leeds 1-0 Overnight as well, Leeds dangerously close to the relegation zone on 18 points. The same as Everton, uh, just over the halfway mark in the season, but uh, Leeds with a slightly better goal difference in 17th place as it stands. Now, just some uh, golf results. So in the Saudi International, which unfortunately Cam Smith didn't make the cut for, Abraham Anser won that overnight. Two shots clear, uh, 19 under par. Lucas Herbert. Finished third, four shots off the pace at 15 under and shot a 65 in his final round. Uh, Mark Leishman, 12 under, so he was tied for sixth and uh, a good performance from the Aussie there as well. Now, in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which is on at the moment, uh, Justin Rose leads by one shot, uh, but uh, they've still got a round to play here. It's been uh, weather-affected. Uh, this tournament. So Justin Rose, one shot clear. He shot a six under 65 in his third round. Uh, no Aussies really up near the top of the leaderboard there. Aaron Badley, the rest, best of them. And he is four under through his three rounds and shot an even 72 in his third round. Uh, what do we see? Is Snoop Dogg, we just see Snoop, Snoop coach. There? He's assisted coach. So this is the Pro Bowl, yeah. which is now just a complete gimmick, to say the least. Uh, obviously, the the game they play usually between the AFC and the NFC before the Super Bowl. And uh, they're wheeling Snoop out. I mean, what are they doing? This is what, what touch NFL or something here, Loz? It's flagged. And Snoop's calling the shots, is he? Yeah, Snoop's the assistant coach for the AFC. He's calling the shots on the sidelines. So you can only imagine what type of plays he's calling, the old Snoop dog. Uh, but, yeah, this is a joke, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you what, though, they've still got a crowd there. I'll tell you what, you'd, you'd love to be in Vegas, that's for sure. Most definitely. They're looking, they're looking cool, though, aren't they? They've got their hats on. They've got their bucket hats. They've got their shades on. That stadium at Hull, 60,000, 70,000 people. Yeah. Not a spare seat in the joint. And they're pretty much just mucking around. Uh, so that's, uh, of course, a week away. We're going to be at the Stade next Monday for Super Bowl Monday here in Australia. Pump for it, the uh, Chiefs and the Eagles next week. Uh, now, we've got the All-Stars game this weekend, and we've had quite a few players pull out. First trial. Official trial Thursday night over in New Zealand. The Tigers up against the Warriors. And there are a couple of trials, unofficial ones, on the weekend. The Dolphins uh, beat the Central Queensland Capras 24-8 in Gladstone. And the Broncos played winner Manly and won 44-12. But the big story in rugby league, no doubt, has been, uh, well, Jack Whiten's Rather eventful in the end, 30th birthday party, which uh, ended up in the arrests of Jack White and Latrell Mitchell. Buzz, good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. Certainly eventful, busy day yesterday, um, chasing this story. Um, uh, where do you start? Uh, Jack White and 30th birthday. They go to a pub called Walsh's at uh, Queen Bien. All his friends, his family, his Canberra Raiders teammates, Coach Ricky Stewart. Most of them left the party at midnight. Um, Latrell, Jack White and a few of the players kicked on to Friction's nightclub in, in the, the Civic area in Canberra. And I guess 
before we go into the story, you, you, you've got to wonder why million-dollar football players should be in nightclubs at 3am in February when um, they're so deep into their uh, pre-season preparation. Um, that's not to say police haven't rea- overreacted here with the with the arrest, but um, I just don't think they should have put themselves in that position uh, with so much drama. The, the face of the game, Latrell, um, being seen in graphic TV footage or CCTV footage, being arrested and, and after fighting his great mate, Jack White. Is it right, though, Buzz, that it was a muck around between two mates? Look, I quoted Matt Rose, their manager, Laurie, in the paper today, and they these two are as close as any two footballers in the NRL, especially ones from rival clubs. And to give you an idea of how close their relationship is, and I wrote about this this morning, um, Latrell was concerned about going on the Kangaroo Tour, the World Cup Tour to England last year. He he does get homesick and he loves his farm at Taree. And it was only that Jack Whiten was going and he basically had one of his brothers, you could say, or his besties in the side that convinced him to go to England with the Australian team. And look, Matt Rose explained to me yesterday that there's a little bit of rivalry between the two of them. One, they both think they're stronger than each other. Whenever they get together and have a few beers, they'll have a wrestle to prove it. This time they'd had too much to drink. It got a little bit out of hand, but the eyewitnesses I've spoken to have said it was an overreaction by the police and, um, uh, you know, into the circumstances of the arrest particularly. But... um, yeah, we're left with this. But, but the bottom line is, footy players shouldn't be wrestling in nightclubs, friendly or not, at 3.45am, Lawrence. No, no, I, I, I agree with you there. I agree with you there, and I'm certainly not making any accusations or you know, yeah. saying that that uh, it, it didn't happen or the police overreacted. I'm just trying to f- sort of figure out yeah, yeah. what they're it, doing it, it, there at that time of the morning. Uh, why did the friendly banter happen? And, you know, why... Yeah, yeah. Well, why it all sort of unfolded the way it has, because... Yeah, look, you know. I, I've spoken to South and I've spoken to Matt Rose about this and whether there will be some sort of complaint lodged with the ACT police or when the two boys go to court in a fortnight's time before round one of the competition. And they both told me that Jack and Latrell will more likely be showing remorse when they turn up in court. They understand they've brought um, untimely and in, in embarrassing headlines to rugby league on the eve of the season. And they're, they're dirty on themselves for putting them, you know, for putting themselves in that position. Um, that's not to say, and there were so many eyewitnesses I saw on the Channel 7 report last night, including the manager of the hotel, who were critical of the way police handled it. I can tell you, and the story's just about to go online at the Daily Telegraph, this could have been so much worse. Have you guys seen the Channel 7 video? And there's about four police have Luttrell on the ground. Mm. He's yelling out, my shoulder, my shoulder. Well, that was while they were trying to handcuff him while he was on the ground. And 
it was so serious that South Sydney's club doctor, Dr Andrew McDonald, had to visit Luttrell at his home last night just to check it out, to check it was okay. He thinks it is. They're pretty confident it's not going to stop him playing for the All-Stars this weekend if he does make the trip to New Zealand. They're convinced it won't stop him playing um, round one of the competition. However, physios will be monitoring it. And if it does get any worse, he'll have to have scans later in the week. Now, that's the part I'm talking about, about million-dollar footballers being in nightclubs at that time of the morning and just putting themselves in awkward, dangerous positions where this could have been a lot worse and he could have been hurt. How do you prove it was in the police arrest that he did hurt his shoulder? How do we know it wasn't while he was wrestling with Jack? They're both aggressive. Mm. They're both super competitive. So it's a really, really unfortunate story. Um, You know, my view is footy players get an eight-week off-season. And and look, I'm not Mm. dirty on them having a beer, but they do get an eight-week off-season. That's the time they party, but this close to the start of the year, I think they... Do you expect you know, them to be fine, though, Buzz? Um, I don't know, Laurie. Yeah. I, look, I, I think being on page one, being on every bulletin, news bulletin today, um, on television, what I think will happen is the two players will make statements. They'll apologise for what they've done. They will appear in court and cop their medicine and then everyone will move on. I think the integrity unit, which jumped straight onto the case when we broke the story at the Telegraph yesterday, they will have to dot their I's and cross their T's and do a proper investigation and and wait until there's a hearing. There's no suggestion either player will be stood down under the no-fault stand-down policy. But as I said, it's just unsettling. And look, I spoke to Ricky Stewart yesterday. And look, and he was quite tight-lipped about it because it is the subject of, you know, legal action or court action. And Ricky was at the pub, and it was a wonderful, wonderful night. And Jack, as you know, is such a popular player, and he's really done a lot of growing up in the last few years. But Ricky had to leave a little bit earlier. But he knows the security very well at the Walsh's Hotel in Queanbeyan. And he even rang security around midnight just to check everything was okay. And he was told by security, yeah, they're just wrapping up now and they're they're all going home. And But not knowing that a couple of the boys were going to go into town, into uh, the nightclub. It, it's a remarkable story that these two guys would spend the evening in a police cell after fighting each other, get up, go back to Jack Whiten's home, have breakfast together, no doubt with a bit of explaining to do with their partners. And then, yeah, it's it's just an incredible story. You've written in the paper today as well, Buzz, about, uh, well, the NRL potentially seeking uh, plenty of cash for selling the grand final off. Do you think this is a real possibility of leaving Sydney? Well, 
I don't think we'll find out until after the state election, Meadow, because Chris Menz, um I had the opportunity to have breakfast with Chris last week and just to get his views on sport and, in Sydney and New South Wales and, and um, the elections on mid-March. And I think both leaders at this stage with nurses, teachers, education, flood victims needing more immediate funding um, will not be announcing $500 million spends on suburban grounds or roofs over Acor Stadium. What has lit the NRL up is that the A-League marched in last December and got $15 million to host off destinations New South Wales to host grand finals in Sydney for the next three years. And I think, as I've written this morning, outside of the dwindling numbers of A-League soccer fans, I don't think there's a huge interest in their grand finals. I don't think it's going to stir up the economy. I don't think it's going to fill hotel rooms, restaurants, bars, taxis. Whereas an NRL grand final brings in tens of thousands of fans from the bush, from interstate, and it's a huge tourism boost. And Chris Menz is of the opinion that we're too reluctant just to rely on the Opera House, the Harbour, Taronga Park Zoo and New Barangaroot, you know, to get our tourism into Sydney. So Peter Volandis is very, very strong in his views that the government have got to pay up. And anything, if the A-League are getting $5 million a year, the NRL is worth four times that. So whether this $500 million, a 25-year deal, comes to the NRL via cash, which I very much doubt, or a guarantee to fund suburban grounds, fix Brookvale, fix Shark Park, fix Leichhardt, Campbelltown, Belmore, I have serious concerns about whether the game will stay in Sydney. And we could get a Super Bowl-type situation where the game will be put up to bids from the various states to take our showpiece match out of Sydney. It would be an absolute disaster if it happened. Melbourne are actually destroying us with the sport that they have. They have the Australian Open, Grand Prix, AFL Grand Final, Boxing Day Test, Melbourne Cup. Well, we got three A-League Grand Finals, please. Mm. Uh, Buzz, you do know you, what I'm talking yeah, about? I, I, yeah, I do. do. Do you see it like uh, up for the highest bidder and every year the NRL Grand Final, if this happens, uh, being placed in different states and possibly a different country like New Zealand? Or do you think well, it will be you know, one every four years or something like that? Yeah, Laurie, it's too early to determine. I think once the election's over and either leader is put into power for what, three or four years, I think they will then be in a position, not this year, but the year after, to do a deal with the NRL. Last year, a deal was done at the very last minute for $8 million from the government to the NRL. To, uh, But this player dispute has shown us, and Peter Bullock is right, and the game needs to make more investments, and they've got to get commercial with their major events. In the old days, Origin was New South Wales get two games, Queensland get one. Next year, Queensland get two, New South Wales get one. Then Adelaide, Perth, Melbourne, 
started throwing in huge, huge bucks. And it became a national event. Huge TV ratings around the country. Huge crowds, sellouts around the country. Rugby league has grown up a lot in the last decade as a national sport. And we could even get a Perth team next as the 18th side. So to answer your question, I can see it going, as I said, like a Super Bowl and played in various states at different times. I don't want it to happen. Mm. Peter Volandi says in McCollum this morning that he favours keeping the match at its traditional home. But, Laurie, they've got to do something in return. The government, you can't just have it. Um, did, I don't think it's right that 100,000 or 83,000 fans pay 500 bucks for a ticket and go and get rained on at Acol, like the Elton John concert at, the other night at, at Arlene's. I think that venue needs a roof. I think Brookvale needs to be refurbished. Mm. So... And I think the leaders have got to put it higher up on their priorities. I can understand teachers are overworked, nurses are over. Their funding plans at the moment are understandable, but eventually they've got to get round. If they want to keep the grand final here, if they want to benefit from the tourism it brings to the city, they've got to do something about it. Yeah, I think a lot of league people would agree. Where's Clarky today, guys? I'm just off. waiting to get a word in, Buzz. You're on fire at the moment. <laughs> oh, I'm just listening and learning, listening and learning. Oh, yeah. What's happened with Cameron week. Munster? Is he going to be Melbourne skipper? Well, there was a really nice story over the weekend. And look, one of the uh, most incredible interviews I've ever done was with Cameron Munster 18 months ago in Melbourne. He spoke very openly about his gambling problems, his... Mm. alcohol problems and look he's since settled down with his partner he's, he's got a young film there's a story over the weekend that Cameron wants to be he's always avoided leadership groups because he's never been confident about being in a leadership group he didn't think that he was setting the right sort of example for, for younger players coming into the club and he was probably in more strife than any other Melbourne Storm player and there was the white powder drama when they were in um, in Queensland that, uh, that got him into a lot of strife. So, look, he wants to take the next step now. And um, as I said, he's a young father and he's uh, he had a great World Cup. He's a uh, very, very strong season for Melbourne Storm. I think Laurie agrees in the top three players in the game, but he wants to go that... And, and Melbourne Storm have lost Jesse, Jesse Bromwich and, and so much of their leadership in uh, recent years with Cameron Smith, Cooper Cronk, Billy Slater going. And he's grown up and I think it's a great aspiration for him to have to, to, to want to take on a, a big role like that. I read with interest in the paper this morning, Buzz, who's this young Canterbury star that's looking to get out? Yeah, look, I didn't know him this morning, but I will now. There's a young fellow who's 21 years of age and he played for Lebanon at the World Cup, and he's a half-back, he's a 5'8", or he can play full-back. He's a really, really talented kid. His name is Khaled Rajan. Played a lot of New South Wales Cup last year, but has had a very, very good off-season. And a couple of, the club, a couple of clubs have been eyeing him off. Now, he didn't make the Bulldogs... 30-man NRL squad. Two reasons. Oh, there's a couple of handy players that kept him out. 
Gus went and signed the boy from the Broncos and paid a $500,000 transfer fee for him last week. And Josh Reynolds was on a train and trial contract. He might be 33 years of age, but they think he's got a bit to offer the Bulldogs this year as one of their leaders. So there wasn't a position in the roster for this young fella. I'm told the Sydney Roosters and possibly the Cronulla Sharks are ready to pounce. It's, I guess it's a disappointing one where... But you can only fit 30 players into a squad, can't you? And who am I to question Gus and Cameron Serraldo when they determine their final 30? Um, they've decided to go with Reynolds. You know, people could possibly look at that from the outside and say, geez, does it cost us a young player? But, you know, I'm told Josh has had a very good off-season. Their company's going to be a contributor. And the kid from Brisbane is supposed to be a superstar. So, uh, But it's difficult, isn't it, when mm. some of your best young talent... And look, he, he was pretty good, they tell me, for Lebanon, the World Cup, in a, in a side that was obviously hopelessly outclassed and... The fact that he can play a number of positions, 5'8", fullback. Cronulla have lost young Dykes for the year. Lockie Miller, Newcastle, he might be handy in the Shire, the beautiful Shire. Buds, we'll have to leave it there, mate. Thanks so much. Have a good week. Yeah, thank you, guys. Cheers now. Overnight in the Six Nations, France beat Italy 29-24. Over the weekend, Scotland beat England at Twickenham. So the post-Eddie Jones era over there, 0-1 England, 29-23. The Scots won that. And Ireland beat Wales 34-10. to 10. Uh, There's some uh, cricket on at the moment. Well, firstly, the Big Bash. And uh, the final of the Big Bash saw the Perth Scorchers win their fifth title. Uh, Brisbane Heat, they were described as just about Neville Nobodies in the West Australian newspaper over there heading into the match. Uh, considering the players that were out have uh, gone over, of course, with the Australian Test squad. But uh, the Heat, they put up a real fight. Seven for 175 with the bat. And uh, the Perth Scorchers, well, they needed 38 off 19 when 19-year-old Cooper Connolly came to the crease, and he was the hero. Helped steer them home, along with Nick Hobson, who made 18 off seven balls, Connolly 25 off 11. So uh, five for 178 with four balls remaining, and the crowd just a tick under 54,000 saw that game there the other night. But uh, we got Stewie Clark coming on shortly. And, uh, well, real concerns for the Australians. Uh, it's just a test match going on at the moment in Bulawayo. West Indies, none for 221. Uh, there against Zimbabwe with uh, Tajnarine Chanderpaul and Craig Brathwaite, both scoring centuries and unbeaten as it stands there on day one of that test. But uh, real concerns for the Australians, pup with Josh Hazelwood, all but ruled out of the first test with an Achilles injury. He's going to try and bowl tomorrow to see if he's okay for Thursday, but all indications are he won't be. So Mitchell Stark unlikely to return from a finger injury for the first test as well. So we are left with Scott Boland and Pat Cummins set to be our quicks. The only other quick, fit quick over there is Lance Morris, the young tearaway from WA who's Mm. yet to make his debut. But all of a sudden, things are looking a bit thin, Um, particularly with Cameron Green's situation uh, and all likelihood that 
he's not going to be bowling in the first test. Yeah, we've definitely got con- some concerns. I don't think Hazelwood will play, and if he misses the first test, he'll still be in doubt for the second if it's an Achilles because I think there's only three or four days between first and second test match. After second test, they get a good week and a bit off before the third. Uh, so obviously no Stark, no Hazelwood hurts us. Um, but yeah, Cameron Green's a big one. It, it, listening to Andrew McDonald's comments yesterday, it seems like if he can bowl, they will select him. If he can't bowl, I don't think they're going to pick him. I think they're going to go specialist batter, and that might be Matt Renshaw in that number six position. Um, but yeah, what we do with our bowlers, well, probably have to play um, Ashton Agar, I would have thought. Two spinners, two quicks, two spinners. But then we're still, if, if Cameron Green can't bowl, we're still a... I think we're still a bowler short. I think you still need your five bowlers over there. Um, oh, we've got we've also got the part time of Travis Head, whose off spinners are. I think they're better than part time. Um, and then you have got Marnus Labuschagne, who bowls some good leg breaks as well that aren't the worst, especially second innings of, of a Test match in India. So there's still options. Uh, don't forget, India's got no Rishabh Pant and no. Bumrah as well. So they're missing two of their um, best players. So, yeah, I think either way, no matter what happens, if Hazelwood's not fit or Cameron Green's not fit, I still think we're in a we're in a good position. The guys will be ready to rock, and I still think this first test match is crucial for us to get off to a good start. But, yeah, no doubt it hurts. Hazelwood's experience, um, you know, in those conditions. He's played a lot of T20 cricket over there, been to India so many times before. But Cameron Green, that all-rounder, I think is a massive loss. If he's not fit to to bowl, um, I think that hurts a lot. Our, our next guest, of course, is uh, the great Stewie Clark joining us. And uh, actually, we'll just bring up Stewie's. Uh, well, he played two tests in India, one, and the last being with you, pup. And uh, we yeah, we fielded for a bit that day. Yeah, didn't we? you did. So this is back in two thousand and eight, uh, and India. Seven for 613 ah, declared in the first ah, innings. Ouch. With Gautam Gambier, 206, and VVS Laxman not out 200. Just a lazy oh. 161 overs in the field. How many uh, did we get, though? <laughs> Hang on. They made 600. How many did we make? You got 150? No, you got 577. Oh, yes. We've got a couple of days Guess off. Guess who got That's a good. ton? Who? M. Clark, did 112. I? Where was that test match? Delhi. Must have been a belter. 600 plays 500, mate. Anyone could have got 100. Gee, Stewie there after bowling uh, you know, plenty of overs, then got to sit in the dressing room and watch you blokes club it around for a long time Mate, as well. 600 uh, in Delhi. Oh, my God. That feels like 8,000 <laughs> in the field for two days. It feels like two weeks. How are you, Stewie? <laughs> Not great after that. <laughs> oh, remember those days, Stewie? <laughs> no, thank you very much. Uh, I, I, it was Kumbay's last game. I remember, I remember the test match. I... Uh, it was a long time in the field. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious me. <laughs> well, people said to you, look, it's 38 degrees, go out, stand in the sun for six hours, run in, bowl, don't get anyone out. Um, you, want, you want to do it? You'd go, you're kidding yourself, mate. <laughs> What is the mindset of a fast bowler than Stewie when you rock up on the day and you just look at the pitch and you go, this is going to be a belter. We'd love to win the toss. <laughs> Wish you I was lose, a batsman. Yeah, you lose the toss. <laughs> what are you thinking? No, it starts out two ways. You go, geez, I hope we win the toss, right? And it's like there's, there's about a 10-second window where it feels like about three hours where you're waiting to find out what happens. Right. And when you find out what happens, you go, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> 
You know when they say body language is so important? Yeah. Not when you lose oh. the toss in India, man. Everyone's kicking the dust. Who's, who's the one that goes, come on, boys, doesn't matter, we lost the toss. Oh, we can take early mate. wickets and you just look oh. at them and go, shut up. <laughs> no, we can't, mate. <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> We're fielding for two days, mate. Get ready. It's like when you're, like when you're winning at 40 nil in a game at Rugby oh. League at half time oh. and someone in the shed says, we start again. <laughs> we start nil again, all. nil all. Shut up. But you're the best one, though. It's like when, so you bowled. 700 million overs and it's day two and they're about to you know go out and we're about to take the third new ball not the second new oh. ball the third new ball oh. and throws you the ball and says alright mate no warm up balls well this team now how concerning is it now with the, the injury to Josh Hazelwood and uh, what do you think the makeup of the side will be on Thursday in Nagpur Oh, it's a massive loss, isn't it? Because it's, I was just listening to Pup talk then, but just that experience, it just takes, it takes so much to get used to playing over there. Um, look, we've got people that can come in and replace Josh Hazelwood, you know, Boland or um, whoever it may be, Lance Morris perhaps with a bit of pace, um, Spinner and Agar. Oh, I think that all of that said, I think they'll have to go with two spinners and two quicks. And Cameron Green, he, he just balances that team like he would in any team, by the way. If he played for anyone, he would make it a better team because of the both. Uh, he does both skills so well. Um, I think it'll be Boland and Cummins, Agar and uh, Nathan Lyon. And then you've got your part-times, Lavashane, Smith, um, Travis Head, who I agree is better than a part-timer. But I'm just not sure there's an easy fix to the, to the problem, given that you know, they've got guys out. And, OK, if they go with another quick, then they go with Pat Cummins, Lance Morris and uh, Scott Boland. But you've got two blokes who never played there before. Oh, Stewie, we, we, this, like I know we had a bit of a joke there before, but when you're bowling on a pitch, it sort of gives you nothing. As a fast bowler, do you have to be more creative or do you have to have the patience of just that line and length? I think at different stages you need both. Um, if I look at my time, I had a horrible record. I only got two wickets and two tests, but I think I was too patient. I think sometimes you need to be a little bit creative and bowl a cross seam, a wide ball. With, you know, not balls that they can hit for four, but just you've got to try things at different stages. The other thing you've got to do is you've got to look after the ball and you've got to get the ball in a condition where you can get some reverse swings. So, um, you know, getting the ball to tail back is a big weapon. If you think about guys that have had a bit of success over there. Michael Kasperwitz is one that comes to mind. Mitchell Johnson's another one that comes to mind. That They got the ball to reverse swing quite early in the innings, so they became very, very effective. Boomer is really good at it, as is Mohamed Shami. So you've got to be able to do that. But I think you need a combination of both at different stages. Sometimes you need to be a little bit defensive. Sometimes you need to be a little bit attacking. Stewie, have we gone to India on this trip with the attitude that spin to win. Like, we picked four spinners, but we're now having a conversation with Stark and Hazelwood out with our, our quick option. It's actually the only way we've won, well, in the last 40 years, the only time we've won there, really, our quicks won us the Test Series in 2004. Yet, I feel yeah, like, I have we just focused everything on, because India has success with their spinners over there, that we need to play like them? I think there's a little bit of that, absolutely. Um, we've picked four spinners. Where we've, we've, we've certainly picked, you know, Agar didn't have the greatest test match in Sydney, didn't particularly um, do well. But, you know, we've said we need a left-arm orthodox to be successful over there. You're right, if you look at the history, the only time we had success was when the Quicks did the job with Kasperowitz, McGrath, 
um, Jason Gillespie and I think Binger was in the in the waiting as yeah. well, and that's where we had success. I think we went look. We've got our three quicks. There's no question they're they're, they're pretty good. They've got a great record. They've been around a long period of time. So I think we went with oh well they're going to play anyway. Now we've got a couple of injuries, um, and you know Stark will he be won't he be that that sort of question. I think we went oh well all spinners now. I'm not sure it's the right answer because mm. you're 100 percent right. Quicks that they play pretty, spin pretty well as you'd imagine. Sorry, Mino. I was just going to say, talk to me about this number six position. I'm keen to get your take on that because we've seen Cameron Green. Well, he's a legitimate all-rounder. He can bowl 140Ks, but his his batting's also been high class. You know, not too long ago, we were trying to get him to open the batting in the T20s. So he's, he's certainly got batting ability as well. If he can't bowl, do you still pick him at six or do you replace him with, well, we haven't got a, another fast bowling all-rounder option. We haven't got Glenn Maxwell as an option as that number six. So do you replace him with uh, Matt Renshaw, a genuine top-order batsman, or do you stick with Green? Yeah, that is the, the million-dollar question because he provides so much balance to the team because he does so both skills so well. Mm. Uh, personally, I think there's, there's a couple. Can he actually field? Because he's got a broken finger and he feels at gully. So you'd imagine he won't be there. I think yeah, the, true. They're sort of saying he, he may or may not be able to bowl. I don't know if you can go into a test match with a may or may not be able to bowl attitude. Um, but I think fielding's more the, more, the, more the problem because where do you put him? And then do you feel as though you've got to bowl him? Personally, I, I'd put Matt Renshaw. If he's not, a, he's, he's not fit to bowl, mm. I'd put Matt Renshaw in there. Do you Matt think Renshaw a little tour game might be handy to find out if these blokes are fit? I get the future tours programs full. I get it all. I get, you know, they want the big bats to be successful. Yeah. But you can't at the same time turn around and say, test cricket's really important. And then not put a tour match on. How, how do we know? Like, well, look, maybe we're not supposed to know. Maybe they know internally in the nets. I don't know. But it does take a little bit of getting used to going over there and coming out of short version cricket or whatever it may be. It is a massive risk, I think, for the Australian cricket team not to have a, had a warm-up game over again. You know, you play the Chairman's 11 or the President's 11 or you play some team. But it's more about just fighting your feet, isn't it, and getting used to the conditions. And oh, I, I don't know, I find that... I find it really hard to take. Yeah, and, you know, everyone's championing the Big Bash and how, you know, it was back to its best this summer, yet David Warner's just got on a plane and said he's exhausted and he's going to play a test series. <laughs> in like, India. Seriously. In India, where four weeks feels like four months. What is the priority here, <laughs> mate? That's what I mean. We're, we're so confused about, oh, look, I get the Big Bash needs to happen and all the rest of it. But, mate, this is the Smith, if you remember two years ago, this is the same. This is the same organisation that wouldn't let him play because he didn't fill in the paperwork or something like that, and he hadn't applied in time. Or this year he comes out and gets two hundreds, and everyone's singing, "Oh, we've got to let him play one more game. Let's let him play one." In turn, for not getting over to India and preparing properly. I don't know. I, I, it just confuses me. There might be a rhyme or a reason to it. I, who knows what it is though? It's going to be a fascinating series. Give us a prediction, Stewie. What do you reckon over the four uh, tests? <laughs> Heart says go Australia. <laughs> It says, oh, geez, it's a tough, tough tour. Uh, I think it'll be close. Um, I'm going to say straight in a draw, but I think India have just got too much firepower over there, guys. I really do. It, it hurts me to say that, and 
don't know what, what do you think, Pop, but I, uh, I'm, I'm worried we're a little bit yeah. under. Well, I think we're, yeah, I, I, I'm worried no tour game. I, obviously, now with these injuries, Cameron Green's a massive loss if he can't play. Yeah, um, I, I think the only thing in my mind, though, that still gives me confidence, and maybe not about the first test match, but about the series, Australia winning the series, is no Bumrah, no Risha Punt for India. I think those two players are a massive loss. I like our, our uh, how senior our batting group is. So they've been around for a long time. Warner, Kawaja, Labashane, Smith particularly. They all know how to play spin bowling now and have improved their game against spin. But yeah, oh, the conversation we've just had now about obviously no Stark, no Hazelwood, and if no Cameron Green makes, and no tour game, makes this first test match extremely difficult. Yeah, it certainly does. And the other thing is, you know, Ashwin and Jadeja, they're a whole different level when it yeah, comes true. to bowls. In, in that, you know, Ravi Ashwin's record in India is, is ridiculous when you look at, uh, through the history. So he, uh, it's going to be a tough tour. It's going to be fascinating. I can't wait to watch. It's great fun watching Indian Test matches. Um, look, hopefully Australia can do the job. Good on you, Stewie. Thanks so much. Good on you, boys. Have a nice day. Ali Mosley coming up shortly. Just this text. Morning, boys. Any chance of wishing my beautiful wife a happy birthday? She loves the show. And listens uh, every day. I think she has a crush on Loz. Lynn from your minor beach. Happy birthday, Lynn. Happy birthday, Lynn. I hope you enjoy the day and I hope you get spoilt. There you go. Mm. Hopefully mm. you'll get spoilt today. Plenty of flowers, chocolates, all that type of stuff. Exactly. Well, is that advice or for, for the husband? Or... Yeah, just mm. do something nice. Okay. Unlike what I do on my wife's birthday. <laughs> go and spoil your wife. But happy birthday, Lynn. Uh, don't forget the Big Sports Breakfast Lunch. It's back again Friday, Feb 24 at the Wink Stand at Raw Rarewick. So just join the, uh, well, go to the website, the australianturfclub.com.au, australianturfclub.com.au to secure your seat and tables. It's going to be a great afternoon with sporting and racing royalty, stacks of special guests, which are just being finalised. We'll have some announcements on that pretty soon, but uh, it's looking like it's going to be another great afternoon for sure. Looking forward to getting to that wink stand. And uh, Ali Mosley from Sky Racing joins us. How are you, Ali? Uh, good morning. I'm well. Had a great weekend, so feeling ready to rip into the week, I think. <laughs> and what a performance from Aft Cabin in the Eskimo Prince. Yeah, and I thought he has more to come, actually. It's funny, you know, when horses have, have bled and they come back, sometimes they can just take a little bit longer. Like, he still wasn't quite there in the coat. And um, I just think he'll only improve off that. So, you know, he kind of, it was funny, he was lay of the day, and I think everyone took him on. I took him on with Sajardin, which was the wrong choice, and everyone else did as well, and he, he proved us all wrong. So I think he's obviously come back in super order, and they'll do everything they can to make sure. Because once they've bled before, it can be something that often can happen again. So they'll be really careful with him and, and only do, you know, what they think he, he can he can do. So I, was, I thought it was just a super run, Um and, and good to see him back in such good order. I love it when we have good horses win. What about Remark, Ali? Um, you know, big weight, uh, always promised plenty. Um, do you see him going on with the job now? Yeah, he's, he's a group horse for sure, I, I think. I think to, to do that with 62 on his back um, was, was a huge effort. I think even um, Michael might have said that after the race, that, that they certainly see him as a, as a black-type horse, probably even a group one uh, potential. So he was one who probably didn't, you know, we haven't seen the best of him yet. And I think this prep, the way that he's come back off that first up run, we will see it, hopefully. Uh, Madeira Sunrise got the job done there in the Lonro Plate and uh, another good two-year-old for Michael Friedman. 
Yeah, another good filly too. I keep talking about these fillies. I, I don't know what will happen this year, but I feel like, again, the fillies probably are a, a stronger crop than the Colts at this stage, albeit we saw a really handy one um, put his hand up on Wednesday there that James wrote in the first as well, materialised, the Dundee Colts. So, uh, but Madeira Sunrise, I went and saw her and had a chat to Michael before the first as well, and he was really happy with her. There's not a great deal of her. She's quite small for a Vinny. And um, she's a neat little type. She does everything really professionally and takes everything in her stride. And I think she proved that. I think James even said after the race that it felt like she probably had more to give, which is what you want to see. So she was super. And then just on Mexico, Michael Friedman's other runner, who um, just got his leg up in the gates. He just reared up. It was sort of benign. It wasn't anything dramatic. He just got his leg up and just got it over. So he got scratched and I know Michael went to the stewards and asked if he could trial early so that he could potentially still run around in the English Millennium on Saturday. And I've just seen him in the noms for this morning at the trials. So that's great. So hopefully they can get him through, get him ticked off, and we can see him run around in the Millennium on Saturday because I, I think he's a, a lovely type and I feel like the stable have a bit of an opinion of him. So Mexico will see trial this morning and then hopefully run Saturday. Did any other horses catch your eye over the weekend? Yes, there were a couple. Actually, you know what? Little Cepito Beauty, who I think I, I tipped on the show, she, I just think, will furnish as she gets a little bit older. She's still a baby, really. And um, I think I was chatting to her trainer, Daryl, and he said that, you know, her claim to fame will always be that she beat the Melbourne Cup winner in a trial. But I just think that she's got so much more to give. But out of the highway, aside from her, I want to follow preemptory. I just think it was really like, unlucky. Denied racing room until late. I think... Looks like he's got a lot more to offer. I also want to follow Key Largo. That was a bit of a horror watch for anyone who backed him. I just He saw no clear daylight in the run home. He travelled really well, and he still managed to run the final 632.14, which was the day's fastest. So he's one I'll follow. And, and then I just thought Andermatt, everyone was sort of potting him and saying he hasn't come back. But I think he could be returning to his best form this prep from, from that. He clocked 10.98 for the final 200, which was the fastest final sectional of the day. So while he might not have looked as good on paper, I thought he um, he ran super. So they're the ones that I'll follow from the weekend. Thanks so much, Ali. Have a great week. Thanks, guys. You too.